A roundabout offers the chance to choose a destination. How fast or slow, how cautiously or bravely you approach it. A roundabout provides its user opportunity, danger, but ultimately choice, much like life. Roundabout is a podcast about life, love, journeys, success and failure. Mostly a celebration of living life and making the most of opportunity. Well, Jake, we're back for part two and I've titled this episode, The Millennium to MRCC. But before we start, I'm just wondering if you can give the audience your thoughts on Scott Morrison and the news regarding him in the past week or so. Firstly, probably not surprising. Like I think over the, particularly over the period where the last three years when Scott Morrison won the 19 election and then lost the 22 election, there's there's uh, severe evidence suggesting that he has a really tough relationship with the truth. He doesn't he doesn't have a problem with fudging the books, so to speak. And this is what it looks like he's done uh, with uh, the Governor General that he's picked. Uh, and they reckon the Governor General was picked for a reason. Um, I think, and I was reading it earlier today, that all Governor-General's decisions were began to be gazetted in 94. So every time the Governor-General had a meeting, it would be written in a book or a ledger or an index. That stopped when this Governor-General came uh, into the position. But the second thing is it's systemic. Like if you, we're, we're playing out the dying days of the climate wars yep. and the moment that uh, Rudd was sacked in, sacked or resigned in 09, you know, mm. there was Rudd, there was Gillard, there was Abbott, who was a great opposition leader, but all he did was tear everything down. Then he was sacked by Morrison. Uh, he was sacked by, sorry, was torn down by Turnbull and then Turnbull was torn down by Morrison. So mm. the level of trust and faith within politics, particularly leading up to the 22 election, had gone so low mm. that he's a system of a problem because democracy needs to be practised. You know, we need to learn how to have the difficult debates and discussions without the polarities, the far left and the far right, and try and work in that sensible centre. So I think he's in a little bit of trouble. Whether anything will happen out of it, we'll mm. just have to see how that proceeds. So for the uneducated, which is me, what, so it, from the old Channel 9 news, it seems that he's signed off on things that he maybe shouldn't have. Is that the situation? Or Well, I think it's, more, it's bigger than that because he has gone out of his way, like put it this way, through the whole pandemic, Scott Morrison mm. and the federal government were canning Daniel Andrews for going out in front of the public every day and Andrews was saying, I need special powers. Yeah. I need bigger powers to make sure that people are safe and we can stop people from... And there's arguments about that too, stop people yeah. doing other stuff. While he was critiquing Andrews... He was doing exactly the same thing, except he wasn't telling anybody. So imagine what would have happened in 2019 and he went out, like Andrews did, in front of the Channel 9 News or all the media and said, mm. oh, I'm just going to make myself finance minister or I'm just going to make myself the treasurer or I'm just going to... Now, he didn't even tell some of his colleagues. Now, you've been in a workplace where you haven't been told the truth by uh, a colleague and I've been in the same place, not for a long time, mm. but the nature of trust and transparency, which is the buttress of all democracy, was washed away, completely washed away. Yeah. Okay, look, you know, this is, I'm not waging a political war here. Um, as you know, I'm pretty apolitical. I don't really, you know, I sit right in the middle of just be nice to each other and everything should be fine. But unfortunately, that's not the way of the world. Um, 
And there was so, a there was a word generated in the 18, uh, 1890s by a French philosopher. I can't remember his name. Called complexification. Yeah. So we put the um, complexity and fication together because mm. even at that point in the 1890s, there was so much information around that it was hard to get a systematic understanding that that was the best thin- thing to do. Now we. If anything, there's there's a hundred million times more information now than there was when that word was um, put together in 1890. So I think that's worth pondering on. Mm. Everyone's political. It's just how you engage with it in a positive way to get a, a better outcome, maybe. Yeah, that's that's a cool word. I'm going to look that up and um, have a little little. I'm going to find out who that dude is. Um, so just back to the millennium. Um, where were you on the 31st of December 1999 and as Prince said, did you party like it's 1999? Yeah, we, we did. It was, um, I was actually spent the millennial new year uh, at the Outback Pioneer Caravan Park in Yalara. Oh, uh, oh I'd, well. I'd spent 1999 in St Kilda with my cousin Ange Modica and come back for a big family Christmas in 1999 in my parents' new place at the end of Wooga Road and then with two cousins, Jared Murphy and Janine Murphy, we drove from Mildura to Yalara in three days and uh, or yes. two and a half actually Standard. and um, had a great time, had lots of chats, had a few drinks, um, mm. except for those that were driving of course and arrived into uh, the embracing arms of uh, my sister Lisa who was still living there and we yep. had a wild old party and there was two parties going on. Well, there was parties everywhere. Mm. There was a, the one that we had in the campground, which was just a lot of people got together. Mr Millennium was there. There was this dude who did a whole show. He dressed up as Mr Millennium and he kind of looked like looked like a, um, a leprechaun but without <laughs> the beard. It was, and he just ran around telling everyone he was Mr Millennium and wow. handing out goodies and lollies and all sorts of things. I, I was imagining somebody dressed up like painted silver with silver, like a robot type of silver outfit. No, 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 it was a different thing. But there was a a mythical party because I remember being in, you'd remember the supermarket at Yalara, it was chockers. You know, I think we arrived on the 28th, so we spent 28th, 29th, 30th, four days. And there was people everywhere. And there's a big rave. There's a big rave 70Ks out. There's a big rave behind Curtain Springs. There's a rave here. There's a rave there. And couldn't find it. We were dying to get out there and participate in this rave. And... Mm. um, my good friend Jonathan Evans, who you've met, mm-hmm. he was out there the same year but didn't even come into town. About 30 of them took all their own gear and they set up, I think it was on the Mitajulu side towards yeah. the WA border and had a massive rave with about 400 people in the middle of Australia for the millennial wow. new year. So that's where I was then. Okay. that's uh, And I had no idea what the answer to that was. So that's, um, and it's conjuring up so all kinds of... So much fun. The thing that I remember the most was about four o'clock in the morning, too many drinks, too many stories, and we'd wandered off to a, a, um, a sand dune and uh, there was about 40 of us and there was one bottle of water. Oh. And everyone was getting – and, you know, I have those moments sometimes I'm going, this is our future. It's, we're going to be a country without water, you know. It's like, ah, don't do it, wow, don't do it. that's where it started. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, that's – yeah. I, I, I there's so many things going through my head there. I'll, I'll sort of hit pause on my own brain and, um, and continue on um, with your journey. So I guess to me it feels like the millennium, the kick into 2000, brought opportunities for you. Um, it, do you think that you made a conscious decision to educate yourself on politics as of the, not at the minute of the turn of the new century but or the new millennium, but... Do you think that era into the 2000 kicked you into 
chasing the political dream? Yeah, I think, you know, I'd always had opinions and I'd mm. always, you know, I remember some of the books that, you know, what was it, Ain't Nobody's Your biz- Business If You Do, the, absur- the Absurdities of Consensual Crimes in a Free Society. Well, I bought that in <laughs> 93 and just and, and I became a proselytiser, you know. Mm. I was a preacher. I said, you've got to know about this. You've got a right to choose. You made me read that book. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what I also worked out is that I'd worn myself out. Yeah. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd taken – Big bo- well, I'm a I'm a healthy eater, and so I, I sort of ate life in the same well, and kind of gave yeah. myself a um, personal indigestion. So when I got back from Dilly, as we discussed um, last week, mm. I ended up I was meant to move into a house in Darwin with my cousin Janine and Emma, my little sister, who'd come up to. Uh, I feel like I know these people Darwin. well now. You've met them, <laughs> and um, and then I just I needed some I needed to move away from that. Impulse to just bolt off into the into something else, yeah. And I think I explored that when we spoke last week. And mm. then, so I remember, drove back to Alice and uh, Tegan, a very close friend, that um, spent a lot of time with in that year before I went up to uh, into Dilly. And she said, "I oh, just stay here, just hang out." And I remember washing dishes with her and just saying, "I feel so soothed by washing dishes." And it, you know, reminded me of being a kid and we'd have to help mum. And I'd say, "I just need to go home." So I ended up coming back in late mm. two thousand, and. Um, really picked up the strings that I dropped when I finished my trade mm. at 92 and started working, which changed everything, like tie laying for the first time in a committed way. I'd done that in Melbourne, but it yeah. was sort of on and off, you know. Yep. Um, and, yeah, look, I guess there is a, you know, from, from the last chat we had, there's a, a seriously glaringly fluorescent with fireworks on it, um, Theme running through things that we've we've spoken about, and that you know that's that's family for you. Mm. From, from what I'm you know getting from you, I mean, as, as we know, you and I know, we've known each other a long time, and and you know, there's been um, connection with your family. Um, slightly digressing across from that, um, what is your most memorable memory of the noughties? Um, so when I say the noughties, I'm talking. 2000, 2009. So that's a, that's a massive, <laughs> massive um, time frame. Um, and before you give me that, um, we are going to just uh, – my cat's scratching at the door, so we're going to take a, a quick break um, Look, brought to you all by Outback Memorabilia. Um, if you ever want to buy memorabilia, hit up Facebook, Outback Memorabilia. Um, it's a pretty cool site and there's some cool things there. Um, we're going to hit the pause. We'll be back shortly. And we're going to talk about the noughties. Okay, so we're back. I hope uh, in that time um, you've thought about writing down uh, Outback Memorabilia. Check that out. Um, yeah, as I said, Memorabilia site, lots of cool stuff there. Jump on. You can buy stuff or look at it or just, you know, enjoy the pictures. Um, so back to the noughties, the naughty noughties, well, maybe. For, um, for, for me, it, I'd come – my – intense connection with family kept bringing me home. So my biggest memory is meeting my partner, Danielle. Like yep. we'd known each other before I left and we kind of just clicked as, as mates first and then it, and it moved on from there. Um, but also the work, loving the town, sharing that with the, the, um, the woman that I fell in love with, Danielle, and moving away from my family and mm. creating my own family. Now that theme goes through... 2000 to 2010 at a million miles an hour. So, yeah. um, and, and remembering spending so many wonderful 
you know, the photo of you and I on the top of the air conditioner from the roundabout yep. photo. It was my 31st out at Wilga Road. And mm. even things like that, like there was a very comfortable about coming home. I was just still chasing things but mm. not chasing with that intensity that I did. And yeah. it culminated for me and it really changed. You know, I'd travelled to Europe and I'd travelled to, to the States and around Australia but Danielle and I having fallen in love and, and then moving in very quickly together and then I, God forbid, I bought a house. You know, having I can't believe with you that you parted with your money. Finally. Yeah, <laughs> but also not only parting with my money, but also challenging myself to leave an older mindset behind, where I yeah. believed that it was only going to be a noose around my neck, where it's it's a form of freedom if you're responsible with how you borrow and do those sorts of things. So, Danielle and I, we we just clicked. It was it was it was phenomenal, and. Um, together for 18 months and then she was always going to go off and um, to Cambodia and meet with um, Rachel um, Whitaker and Al Stevens, her mm. husband. And um, Danielle said, well, let's go together. So we ended mm. up spending 10 months of 2003 in Southeast Asia. And, um, yep. and once again, it was me trying to square up with the past. You know, we, were mm. gonna, we, we drove to Darwin and then we're going to go to Timor and then we're going to go through Indonesia into Southeast Asia. But... The Bali bombing happened 20 years shortly. And um, so we bypassed Indonesia because quite a few people at home were quite worried about it, Mm. as they should be. Mm. It was a very difficult and dangerous time. And we, um, I think we went to um, Brunei, Malaysia, Mm. Thailand, Burma, Laos, Cambodia and Vietnam. And that really changed, it really cemented my relationship with Danielle, but sort of gave me an idea of how different uh, a part of the world that is so close to us was. And it is so close, isn't it? Like, I mean, I've been fortunate enough as well to sort of have a little wander around Asia um, myself. Um, but I guess just coming back to that trip, so I was living in Adelaide at that time, um, forging a brilliant, very short career in travel, about five years. Um, and Hard work, mate. Oh, oh God. wow. Yeah, I mean, starting work as a travel agent the first or the week of September 11, it was interesting. Mm. It was it was soul destroying. Yet it was it made it made me probably who I am right now. Um, honestly, well, I keep reading about the Stoics and it's uh, amore fati or the love of fate. So mm. you were fated into a position where you had two choices: you could yeah. brood on it, or you could push yourself out into the world and say, "Well, this is what I've been delivered. How am I going to live with that?" Let's learn. And yep. ANSET collapsed. Yeah, yeah. So, um, <laughs> just the same just week. Some sprinkles on top there. Total, yeah. total. Um, the boat trip that you guys took up the Mekong, is that right? Yeah, the right yep, river. Yeah. Um, so that was – I remember getting some second-hand info off your brother about um, the boat accidents. I remember – and we're talking 2000 and what? Three. Three. Yeah, yeah. So Google was Google, but it wasn't Google no, as it is no. now. Well, Dan and I discussed this the other day because we, we – Danielle and I spent our 21st uh, – anniversary of getting together at SIP here in on 8th Street. Great and we, we Shout we out to SIP, by the way. We, a huge shout out for SIP. They're great people. We, um, we, we, we talked about major moments in our relationship for the 21 years. We had to go in for night two. Um, we only got to 2013 the first <laughs> night, I think. Um, but what we remembered is that there was a thing called the Thorn Tree, which was an aspect of the Lonely Planet book. Yep. So we had books and there was the Moon Guide, which was Indochina. But mm. 
whenever we – Danielle's a massive researcher where I'm a bit more let's just see how it unfolds and that worked really well because, you know, uh, we could be flexible but there was things yeah. that we wanted to see. When we did the research initially, there was always questions about the border between um, Laos and Cambodia. Yeah. Um, they make you pay a lot of money to get by. There's usually mm-hmm. floods going on through there. Um, but when we got there – um, when we tried to get off Dondet, which is, translates as a thousand islands, Dondet mm. is this beautiful. It's where the Mekong Delta is the first time before it goes into Viet, uh, Cambodia and Vietnam. Yeah. We got on the boat at 6.15 in the morning. The guy that usually did it was hung over, so he didn't come. And the guy who did the boat took us about 15 minutes to go across something as about as broad as where the bridge is between Muldura and Baronga. And we just started to feel nervy. And then we had to haggle to get a cheap boat trip and we had to haggle to get a stamp in our – they were just charging 5 and $10 US to do every, everything you went through. Mm-hmm. I had a huge beard. It wasn't white at that stage. And one guy, one uh, Laotian or Cambodian bloke said, um, you've been Laden, you've been Laden. You've... Oh. And, I, and I said, yeah, mate, the beard's growing. I am. And poor Danny only broke down. You know, oh, wow. too cheeky for my own good. But then we got on the boat and the boats were about 12 foot long mm. and maybe 850 door width wide. And we had all our stuff was packed onto the front and we were in the boat with a French couple and a Dutch couple um, and we're pinging along down the Mekong. We had to go from Dondet to Stun Trang, which they said was about 60 k's. I don't oh. know, 50 minutes, 80 minutes. Imagine going 60 k's up the Murray though. Yep. Like With a 2.2 turbo Camry engine on it. So in they it. do the Mildura 100, so 50 k's in, you know, at 40 minutes, right yeah. next speed. Mm. Yeah. So I don't know, maybe we're doing 45, 50 kilometres like an hour. Four or five hours or something. And the props were really long, like twice as long as a broom. And the prop yeah. hit something and spun off. So the inboard motors? No, 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 outboard. So the, the, the big 2.2 oh, with, with a it. long stick on the back. Wow. And just okay. pinging it. Yeah. Um, and then the, the prop hit something. So the guys stopped and we're flopping through the river because it was quick running. And then yeah. we moved close towards some trees. He was trying to crawl out and put a new prop on the back. The sides of the boats were only about eight inches high, 200 mil. Yeah. And then we've pushed sideways into a tree and the boat's starting to lean over. Then everybody leaned the other way. Naturally. He tied it up to a tree. Everybody fell out. Shit. Me and the, and the guy who was steering the boat and the other Laotian woman ended up on the upturned boat. Mm. And Danielle and the um, French and uh, Belgian couple ended up in a tree about two and a half, three metres away, hanging onto a tree, just dragging in the water. Bloody hell. Um, we didn't lose anything because there was a big tarp or like, you know, those um, tradey mesh yeah, yep, hooks yep, yep. over the thing. And we, we were there for an hour and a half. The trailer tidy? Is the trailer tidy, yeah, yeah. My grandfather, Gordon. <laughs> God bless you, so good. Yeah. Um, yeah, he had one. And we and these boats, because they were belting past at, let's say, 50 kilometres an hour, they yeah. couldn't see us. It was loud. And then we're just sitting there and, I, and Danielle said, I'd... All I did was just talk the whole time. Yeah. Sat on the boat saying, everything's okay, someone's coming, it'll be all right, let's do this. It was just like falling out of a kayak in mm. on the Gold Gold Creek in 1978, you know, because <laughs> we'd – Mario and I had put ourselves in situations where we sort of had to, you know, think quick and get out of it. Um, yeah. The, the funny – it felt like a, a scene from um, Apocalypse Now or Heart of Darkness. That. There was this paddle steamer that started – you could hear it before you could see it because it was going against the current. You could just hear – And because it was going so slow, they've spotted us. We've waved them over. We flipped the boat. We got everybody into the boat. We flipped the boat over, um, got everything out, didn't lose anything. Um, 
the motor, because it wasn't bolted to the boat, just fell to the bottom of the ocean. So the poor dude who was driving the boat didn't own it, we found out. So we ended up getting on this boat. Then we got another speedboat and they took us to Stun Trang. Um, by the time we got to Stun Trang, there was like 300 people waiting for us because they'd heard about the accident. Yeah. So we've walked up this steep cliff and we had to lay all our – everyone, the six of us, laid all our clothes and belongings out in this town square of Stun Trang Jeez. to dry it. Um, then we left – I left Danielle with the other people and I had to go and get signatures – for us and the other couples to prove that we'd have an accident for insurance purposes with this little eight-year-old kid with partial English. So that was a pretty wild, wild time. And then we ended up with yeah. Rachel and Al for five weeks in Ratnakiri province in Ban Lung, which was just a different world. It was one of the most incredible things we've mm. done. We met them in the American cafe at about 7.30 in the evening. We're sitting there, dirt roads, and there's just a couple of Asian elephants wandering through the streets and carrying on. So the things you get to see and the pressure you put on yourself are always rewarded because there's a totally different outcome at the end of the day. And that's, that's living life, isn't it? Sitting in a cafe just w- watching some elephants wander by. Or, yeah. Yeah. I mean, travel, every time we talk, I just, you know, and we do this often, we talk about travel and it, um, it, it just makes me want to, you know, Do a little bit more. Get on and wander on, yeah. But, but the, the interesting thing for me is, is that is that was a day in about a tick under 280 days. Mm. That was the only thing – that's the only day we had any problem yeah. in the whole of our, you know, um, March until November in Southeast mm. Asia in 2003, remembering SARS was on and the Iraq war started mm. and the Bali bombing was the year before. People were so generous and so lovely – um, we got blessed the night before. I'm only just remembering this now. I'm telling wow. you the story. We went to meet the chief of one of the smaller villages on Don Yeah. And he was absolutely obsessed that I had hair on my chest. <laughs> so we had the local rice wine and we had a meal with them. We sat in their hut and he kept rubbing my chest and rubbing my arms going, oh, you're strong, man. You've got lots of... And he didn't have a hair on his body, the poor bugger. Or wow. the lucky bugger. I don't know. How do you judge Either that? Either way. Um, so once again, we really explored... Some, some really peculiar things which cemented our relationship um, and gave us a hell of a lot of good stories to tell in, in, over the journey, you know. And isn't that amazing that as something as a, at that point in time you're thinking, wow, this is the craziest and most negative thing that's happening in my life, can then cement, connect and is the mortar for the bricks that you, you build moving forward yeah. family and so on. And, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean... Even, you know, Jack and I, with our travels, um, we were just always lucky. Nothing ever bad ever happened other than, you know, a couple of guns pulled on us in Mexico. But um, oh, Other than that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's just, that is a story I'll have to interview day. you down the track yeah, at some we'll stage. It, mm. for sure, because I, I wouldn't mind talking about that. I, I um, think the other thing too is to understand the privilege we have to be able to make those choices. And, yeah. and even from the, our discussion last week is that, at some point, if you're um, living in the Western world you, and you work hard, you can get a result. You can choose to do things like that. Um, I, I, and I don't want to sound um, condescending or anything, but some people don't have that choice. You know, they some don't. of the people that we uh, stayed with or, or got to meet through Asia were, were in, in that place and they weren't going anywhere and that was probably their lot for a long time. So mm. understanding that privilege is a really important thing to me. We're, we're so fortunate um, 
you know, and that's oh, I think about it every day with the work that I do, as you know. Um, you know, this is about you, not me. But uh, I, every single day, I'm, I'm greeted with a, a new situation that makes me think. You know, uh, the, the dreaded Facebook. We look at that, and someone's complaining because their sausage roll was cold from the bakery or whatever. And you know what, mate? Just move it on. But mm. um, hey, I'm gonna kick that negative stuff out of here and think about, uh, well, talk about to you um, this question. Have you ever Googled yourself? (laughs) And if so, what did you find out about yourself? Um, And before you answer this, I Googled your name and I got this photograph came up. Oh, is that the guy who does theatre in New York? No, it's a 20-something-year-old Italian fella. Yeah. He's a... I reckon there's a photo not too dissimilar to that on your parents' wall of oh, you. Could be, could be. With the uh, the ja- the jacket there, the jack jacket. Yeah. Anyway, he doesn't look like you, but I'll, I'll put that on um, the, our new um, social media site when that hits, which is very soon. But um, it's a photo of a young, sort of cheesy looking kid. Could be Italian, could be from anywhere. But no. Um, I, anyway, yeah. The, the, Have you googled yourself? I think there's a there's a stepped version of, of googling myself. And when yeah. I first googled myself 15 years ago, usually Jason Modica Tiling would come up with that really nice um, oh, the black graphic. Card. Yeah, the black card with that. the different the, the different graphics on it. Uh, but through through 2010 to now, I I Google myself occasionally and I watch videos that I've done. And and it's a it's a challenge because it's something kept in perpetuity. Um, yeah. And but not lately. No, I haven't no. because there's. I think from the position I'm in, what's worse than Googling is if if an article comes out or you're quoted and then the pile-on happens. Uh, And that's a part of the modern world. And like we're saying, we need to be resilient and accept fate for what it is Mm. and you take it on board. But that's something that's been learnt um, to just deal with it. But I think everybody should Google themselves every now and then. If you Google me, this really cheesy um, Colantini picture comes up. (laughs) With like a silver tie and it just, I just, I don't know, it's hideous. I hope if I could bring Frank Google and delete it. Get it out, Frank. Whatever. Anyway, it, it was, well, that'd be Frank Tini, not Frank Google, I guess. But, <laughs> um, shout out, Frank. Um, I, now, what year did you run for council first up? Now, when I say council, I'm talking Mildura Rural City Council. What year was that? Uh, 16. But it should right. have been 12, and there's a funny little story about that too. Yeah. But I'll go back just one more step. You, mm. you questioned me before we started about when the politics really kicked in, and I think yeah. as you'd move back, and I did a full uh, year of economics and uh, politics at La Trobe. That's right. Um, and that really gave me – that's the first study I'd done since um, – Doing year 11. What year, sorry? Was that 2005, the year Luca was born. Yeah, so, okay. And yeah. it really um, encouraged by a lot of people. As you know, I was always keen on a discussion. Probably had a few bad learning habits. I was I very much dabbled in the conspiracy side of things for a long time. I thought that was interesting. That, that ability to say that you don't know gives you an out. Mm. You know, does that make sense mm. to you? Like mm. it just says, oh, well... This looks like it's that. Clearly it is. Yeah. We go and do the research and something else might pop and you up. you find out maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Yeah. And then I, I, I really got into the tiling. I, I got a good business running for myself and then I employed people on and off. Mm. And I, I, I struggled with employment, uh, employing people in the tougher aspects of it. Like I was, I don't mm. think I was a great person. I didn't know how to give the compliment and then the, the clip behind the ear mm. for the want of a better phrase. 
But I think it was you and Danielle when I started really getting heavily into politics, really lost it over Tony Abbott because I think he was of quite a destructive and still is a destructive force in Australian politics. Yourself, my family, Danielle was saying, just bloody run for council. You just stop talking about it. Yep. You just don't shut your hole, get amongst it and do something. So yeah. leading up to the 12 election, uh, Mildura Rural City Council election, um, there's only about 12 people who ran. And mm. I kept on saying to Danielle, she said, don't talk about it, go and sign up. And me, in my naive way, kept on saying, yeah, I'll sign up tomorrow. I'll sign up tomorrow. You didn't want to pay the 40 bucks, did you? No, I did. I didn't. The money, the money didn't matter. It? The money didn't matter in the end. What it was, was it 40 bucks? I think it was 150. Oh, okay. <laughs> it just didn't matter in the and end. And I'll jump in and say, for a couple of years, I was like, man, just do it. Yeah. You, but, you want to, go but, do but it. But when I did, I, I said, look, I'm going to go at one o'clock today. Mm. And it was the Tuesday and it was the last day that you could sign up for 2012 Mildura Rural City Council election, which I probably would have done all right in. Um, turned up at one o'clock, the office had closed at 12. So this is the, one of the lessons that Danielle has really instilled in me is be prepared, mm. be organised, have a contingency. And that really wounded me. Like I I sort of spiral. I, I didn't spiral out. I, I just, I was pretty hard on myself. But by the time 2015 came and uh, the education department wanted to bulldoze the old Nichols Point School and mm. the Rotunda and all that, uh, community activism came about. By the time the start of 2016 came along, I was ready with the support with Danielle and the family to just jump on board. Um, so I got voted in nine, uh, eighth in 2016 um, with a great bunch of councillors and ended up becoming de- deputy mayor um, because I asked a lot of questions and there mm. wasn't there wasn't a procedure set by the the employed staff or the CEO to how the mayor was elected. It was just done by the people on board. As um, in, sorry, can I jump in? So it was like you decided that in a room or...? Well, I would have thought that would have happened, but it, it seemed like or? it was a little bit of brokering behind the scenes. Ah, right. And so that's you, all right, but it happens in... Like I'm not trying to judge the situation yeah. because it happens in lots of different ways. There's nothing but wrong with it if that's what either the system way, is. Yep. Um, well, and different different people in different places generate different outcomes. But yeah. for me, you and what you and I have spoken about this quite a lot, so process-driven, is it because I'm a tiler mm. and I like things in straight lines with squares, well, square, maybe? Yeah, makes sense. Um, that we should get together. The person who wants to be mayor should make a pitch. Uh, the one who wants to be deputy mayor, you need to ask questions of your yeah. new colleagues because you probably haven't met a lot of them. Yeah. Um, and you became deputy mayor in the first year and it was the most phenomenally enlightening period. It was like, it was like the uni that I went to for the year in 2005. It was like that mm. but on steroids yeah. and with good people. And, but another thing that happened too is Danielle and I really committed to... Um, chasing down what we wanted because Danielle went away in 2015 uh, mm. to Toowoomba to be a resident artist in a, in a Toowoomba. Um, it was sort of like an arts Mildura scenario. Yeah, um, think, yeah. She went away for five months and I stayed with the, with the kids for the first couple of months and then we went up there for five weeks and then came back and she went back for another two months. So there was this real commitment to each other's more deeply held desires rather than just committing to the other, one mm. being the house husband or the housewife or one going. So we, we kind of toyed with that and, and both of those things, her artistic work and, and my want to be in politics were given a room to flourish. Mm. Um, so just talking about local council, Mildura Rural City Council, um, 
Mate, how would you describe your first term in local council? And forgive me for not knowing the answer to this question. Is it three or four years? It's four. So, yeah, how was your first four years in local council? Enlightening, rewarding, um, a massive challenge, uh, taxing on uh, Danielle, Luca and Scarlett yeah. because a lot of the time – and when I – I was so fortunate to become deputy mayor – and to be – so that means I go to audit and risk meetings and you go to everything that the mayor at the time, uh, Glenn Milne, couldn't go to, I would go mm. to or I'd be there with him or you'd meet people from um, local politicians and federal and state politicians. So, so Milne was the mayor? Yeah. yeah. Right. Mm. And I should know that but it was a few Oh, years no, it's – once again, um, uh, someone said to me the other day that if you've been in a football club for a long time – um, the whole world revolves around what's happening in that footy club. For but the sure. moment you step out, it seems to disappear and you have this whole other life to live and local yeah. government's not dissimilar. Um, yeah. What I will say is that the volume of things that we have to know, the information that we have to be over, and then mm. the nine people elected who all have a different interpretation of that without your biases and your weaknesses and your strengths being brought to the table. So I think what I've learnt the most in the first four years is that you're going to have some highs and lows, like I was deputy mayor yep. twice and, and missed out on being the mayor. I um, I was lucky enough to do the Australian um, uh, company director's course, which was a five-week course with 26 other people from around the district who all mm. did it together, where you get to extrapolate really difficult questions in finances, in, in moral situations, in uh, conflict of interest and code of conduct. Mm. Or I put my hand up to do the Australian Conservation Foundation River Fellowship. So I've really bounced back and forward within the strict idea of roads, rates and rubbish or with the new Local Government Act of 2012, it's less prescriptive and it gives people a little bit more of an opportunity to build a vision for the future of what they might want to give. Mm. Um, and, and it doesn't matter where you are in the whole 79 councils in Victoria, there'll be multiple different versions of what people are trying to achieve. Um, biggest success, I think, is that we brought attention to issues with over-allocation and over-development in the river system. Um, once Ali, to work with Ali Kappa was an absolute delight. But it, but everybody I got onto council with, mm. uh, I think we gelled initially and then as you go through, if you have little uh, points of disagreement, like a family itself, um, you know, sometimes relationships get better and sometimes mm. they get worse and you just work around that for the benefit of the community. I think with Ali winning, and sorry to bring it back to raw politics, but once the state became a swinging seat, you've seen that I think Ali has bought um, as much money into Muldura, the state seat of Muldura in four years as the previous National Party incumbent did in 12 years. Yeah. So you see that politics sometimes is about triangulation mm. and saying we can do this, that or the other thing. Um we were lucky enough to present to the South Australian Royal Commission into Water, met Brett Walker and um, Richard Beasley, a couple of barristers who know the legislation of the Water Act and the Murray-Darling Basin plan backwards. But once again, I'm focusing on that stuff. I, I do mm. like complexity and sometimes I think that's my biggest deficit is that I want to mm. say as much as I've been told in a very short period of time and it just creates problems. I don't think there's anything wrong with... Um, learning the information and sharing the information there. Mm -hmm. Like, a, you know, I guess 
I don't know, for some reason, it just hit me like a, a primary school teacher. So they read, you know, Grug, the book Grug, and then they, they read that, then they read it to their kids. It's, it's no different to reading the Water Act of 1906 or whatever, yep, wherever yep. that's from, right? And then sharing that information mm. uh, with, with the masses. Um, we're going to talk water and those things soon. But to put a finer edge on it, all the, and you've seen me buy all those books and mm. read all those books and do all that, chasing my own thoughts of who I was around the country and mm. parts of, uh, of other countries. The council gave me that opportunity to have some parameters. And then mm. Danielle's occasionally said, um, you know, you grew up in love with your, your dad and his eight brothers and sisters and everything that they did. You've just replaced that with the, the nine, yourself and the eight members of plus council. One. Yeah, plus well, the CEO. So. Isn't that what they say you should um, – or is that a Chinese proverb or, or, or theory that um, – you, sh- you should replace yourself plus one. Mm. So I don't know, you know, maybe that's them with their two-kid policy. Maybe I'm being indoctrinated there. I'm not sure, but well, I've followed it because I've only got two kids. So, but yeah, I think the the, the one-child-only policy probably saved us a lot of grief <laughs> in uh, in resource um, consumption over the years. But, I yeah, so. I think it to, to be given those boundaries, you know, mm. that, that that's the biggest thing. But there was opportunities. And the other thing is you have to be – when you're sitting down in the meeting, you're representing the 55,000 people in Mildura Rural City Council. You mm. need to have read your information. You need to have understood your information. You, you've, you've got to debate it if you feel inclined to, so which, in the affirmative or in the negative. It's, mm. it's been really – it's been an eye-opener, you know, with lots of positive things, but it's negative stuff too because it's, it's, yeah. it's a workplace. It's tough. And I reckon, you know, look, you've adapted really well to it, to be honest, um, and this is kind of straying off my line of questioning, but – um, I, you know, when you actually did tell me, yep, I, I'm going to run there and, I, you know, we're going to sort of try and get on to council and I was thinking to myself, well, let's just see what happens here. This could be bloody, it could go any which way. Um, and I think in a positive way, what you've done with, um, you know, what you know is, is bloody awesome. Um, uh, sort of moving forward on that, uh, real short question, what have you learnt about public life or being in the public eye? And when I say public eye, I'm talking about Mildura-centric here. Yep, yep. Look, I had a I, – the, 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 what I think – what I learnt the most is that you've got to back your judgement. But what I also learned is there's a honeymoon period. Like when I yep. got on, no one was talking about solar, solar transition. No. Um, it was happening, but it didn't have a spokesperson. So every other day, Chris Tester would ring me and say, oh, do you want to do another story about one of the solar farms with 770,000 panels that will just, you know, make Mars or Carlton United Brewery offset mm. their energy use? Yeah, yeah, let's do mm. that. Um, and I think I was complacent about that. I thought the phone would always ring and I thought that I would be able to just be uh, a congenial face to a story rather than having the, the – once again, it's about the responsibility of the decision you've made mm. – rather than having – being able to answer the more difficult questions or be challenged and having to think on your feet or to say, I'm sorry, I don't know this this at this point in time, I will get back to you. So that's your your the craft of being a good uh, representative for the council while still representing your community. Yeah, and I think something you said there uh, and, and I kind of subscribe to that theory myself is – if somebody asks you a question and you don't know the answer, don't bullshit the answer. Don't go, oh, yeah, it's 2.7% of the GDP of the 
freaking whatever, whatever. It's not about that. Mm. It's actually, you know, I don't know the answer, but I'll go and find out and yeah. I'll get back to you. And I know for a fact that, um, you know, just through conversations we've had, people have come to you and ask you questions that how would you ever know the answer? Mm. But you, I know you you do that and that you do it well. You you sort of step back and go, okay, now I don't know the answer, mate, but I'll find out and I'll yeah. get back to you. And Hey, but that's the, that's the role. Yeah. Like in the simplest of terms, if someone has a concern and the other thing, there's, there's a myriad of ways you can get, you can be heard as well. Mm. Um, and once again, you know that I've always come from an activist background, so it's mm. actually quite easy for me, but there's individuals out there who are sometimes not even afraid, they're not even comfortable with the idea of asking a question of an organisation that they have no idea about. So we need to think about those people too. Mm. Um, because not everybody has the ability to be the loudest voice in the room. And, you know, both you and I have taken that mantle on the yeah, odd occasion. More than once. Um, hence the reason I don't work for a bank anymore. Um, <laughs> in 2019, you ran against the big parties in the federal election uh, under the banner of Modica Famelli. Uh, it was a great campaign, in my opinion. Um, I wore the T-shirt all around Thailand, actually. Um, yes, I remember receiving those uh, photos with you <laughs> somewhere with the Monica Famalion. I did. Um, and, you know, look, probably the locals were looking at me going, well, what the hell is that all about? But to me it meant something. Um, what was the experience like battling the cashed-up National Party? Oh, it, was, it, was, it was, for me, it was awe-inspiring from, firstly, Danielle, Luca and Scarlett and their 100% support. We had about 115 volunteers in a very quick period of time. I had financial support from family, friends and businesses. Um, what became quite apparent is that there's a comfortability within how the click and collect parties work and operate. And yep. that, that's uh, Liberal, Labor, National and Green uh, mm. in that order, is that you don't and that's why I have so much time for independence. I don't like calling the independents that got in in the last federal election teals. They're not. Nah. They're community. I didn't like community that at all. driven independent politicians who think for themselves, who build policy for themselves, who may build a coalition or mm. not. Um, so we had all that and more. Um, Can I what, jump in there? Sorry. No, you're right. Bust you there. But that teal thing, look. I love independence. When I say I love independence, I like the notion that people are brave enough to stand up and fight, fight for what they believe in. It's, it's like we're put, trying to put these people in a basket again. Just how about let people be people? So, but that's a, that's a classic divide and conquer from a, from a party or a group who have traditionally held power in a certain yeah. region. Um, and it means that you tend not to debate on a different level, on a broader level. Um, they can stand by... Uh, much more advertising or even mm. this year, Ben C. and Siebert, who worked at the ABC, was on Media Watch because a lot of the press agencies around Mildura were just releasing all political parties, particularly the National Party's mm. press releases, without giving any editorial or journalistic content and giving that as a story. So you're not even interpreting their policy or their press release. Mm. So that means that our democracy isn't, and this taps back to the Morrison thing we started on earlier, yeah. we don't have the dialogue we need about things that are going on. Mm. Um, you know, uh, Andrew Broad and I got along sometimes and, you know, yeah. I remember talking to him about energy transition and water and mm. it just didn't seem important to him. 
You know, no. this was at the period where the Darling River had, never, had dried twice between 1900 and yep. 2000 and then had 15 cease to flow events between 2000 and 2017 after an algal bloom that lasted nearly eight months in 1996. So something was clearly going wrong compared to the river that my grandfather drove up and mm. down when he was delivering the mail to Menindi in the 1950s. Right. So, so the, the experience was uplifting but physically demoralising because mm. of, you know, the kilometres we did, the money we spent, you know, we, you go down to Kahuna, you go down to Kahuna, Maribara, you go across yep. to Edenhope, mm. you know, in you know, Edenhope is closer to Adelaide than Mildura and it's closer to Warrnambool. So you wow. have to cover all these places, 88,000 square kilometres. Modica for Mali won Mildura. We won mm. 11 out of the 12 seats and there was 29% swings against the National Party. So that's why someone like Ali can be a progressive, mm. be a animal rights activist, be a, a lawyer who works in... Um, domestic violence yeah. and have this great attraction and then put the runs on the board um, because we are a very progressive uh, cap to the seat of Mali or cap to the seat of Mildura. Yeah. Uh, I would recommend if anybody has the inclination and the time and they want to have a try and change the nature of how they think their country should be run, running for the, a federal in a federal election will will give you so much to ponder mm. um, because you get dragged into that two parties. It's either Liberal or Labor and yeah. it's never like that. When is every, anything ever that simple when you're trying to get something done? So I think it, particularly people of the Mali want more, they deserve more. We've been shown by Ali Kappa that a different version of politics can be done. What's next for the region could be anything, Corey. Yeah. Agree, mate. And, you know, we're, we live in a bloody awesome part of this country. Um, I've, I've sort of, I guess, lamented over the years that if Mildura was on the beach, this would be the greatest town in the world. Um, I love the Murray River with, you know, with all that it brings to us, but um, if we had a sort of three-foot swell every every day, it'd be, it'd be unreal. But anyway, we don't. Um, it would be the Gold Coast then. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. So, look, there's, you know, through the, through the my time back in Mildura from 2000 is, um, you know, there's been great, great artistic events and great sport and, and you know, we're the, we're the wealthiest horticultural and agricultural local government area in the whole of the country, $1.12 billion last year or the year before, which wow. is phenomenal. But there's an X factor here. You know, we're on the, we're in the, the confluence of the Murray and the Darling Rivers. You know, we're that close to Mutawinji and the proper outback. You know, Mildura's 40% national park you know, mm. yes, it would be nice to have a beach, but I think all those other things add to this really unique... Wiperfeld National Park is just... It's, yeah. a, you know, or the, the Sunset Country, you used to ride your motorbike I've through there, I've been fortunate, mate, to, to ride the old motorbike through there and it is stunning. And, and the it's, stories that are being uncovered about how it was first colonised, mm. the station in the 1850s and then the Chafees in the 1880s, the success stories and the negatives and then the waves of migrants. You know, we're really playing out a, a um, post-industrialiser, a post-industrial revolution mm. relationship with developing a new colony. And yeah. um, my colleague, uh, and I've known Stefano for a long time, talks about Mildura's X Factor. Mm. You know, and he's a person that came to Melbourne and could have lived anywhere, but through mm. um, his wife, uh, wife Donata, and then his love of the place, he stayed and is exploring that X Factor mm. that gives Mildura something very, very different. And a lot of people who come here 
that have never been here or don't have a relative or didn't come picking grapes at some point in the last 40 years go, why don't I know about this place? You know? So true. Uh, So, Jake, um, your time as Deputy Mayor uh, and the first time, I I thought you did a fantastic job. Uh, I know you were really active. Um, You were out and about sort of, you know, meeting, greeting, um, you know, doing all the things that were asked of you. Um, And I I truly think you you did an, an awesome job. Um, so sort of moving through to November 19, mm. um, it was, I guess, um, widely thought that you would, um, yeah, yeah. you'd become mayor in, uh, in that, uh, that time frame. Um, now that didn't happen. Are you happy to have a chat about sort of what, what happened at that time frame, um, and, uh, why you, you, you didn't become the mayor? Oh, you just... Look, I think on the back of the federal election, and one one thing that I didn't understand either when I put my hand up to run federally and say what I'd said behind closed doors in public, like to have a microphone, like a megaphone saying, you know, I put the National Party last on the head of vote last, you know, below Fraser Anning, below Rise Up Australia, absolutely last. Yep. Well, they've got, they're never going to get in. They get 0. 0.3, 0.9, 1.1% of the vote. So it's yeah. one of these straw man arguments. Oh, he, you know, he's preferenced racists, you know. Uh, well, they're never going to get in. How come we've got the worst uh, medical system mm. um, known to man and we don't have a, a good rail system is because we yeah. haven't invested in it over the, the right period of time with federal and state money, not just one. Yeah. Because you don't only get picked off by... Um, state or federal government. So, you know, mm. they play off against each other depending on who's yeah. in power too. The three-tiered system is complex. Though, it is isn't complex. It, it is complex. But if, it, if, it, if everybody's on the same page and they're looking at the outcome rather than the turmoil of trying to make the decision, you can mm. have a good outcome. So I'd made from that, from that glossy-faced... 46-year-old that became deputy mayor and was yeah. the assistant manager. I was looking at the photos today. I actually. became, I wouldn't say enemy number one, but... Uh, what I was saying was not disliked. There was 1,500 DL flyers dropped the week before the 19 election saying if Jason Modica is elected, he'll become a green overnight, he'll drain the river and he'll implement death taxes. Now, that was that's still legal to do. Now, that's illegal and I came fourth. Maybe I could have got third if that didn't get put out. So this is the – and that was registered by someone who was a member of one of the, one of the other parties. Um, the big one? Yep, yep. So, so you sit back and you think. How, how is that? I mean, well, some I know of, it's legal, but it's, it's, it's but it's like shit, it's like defamation. Really, it? Like it is. Anybody can defame whoever they want. It's usually the dude with the deep pockets. Like Lachlan Murdoch today yep. is going to take crikey to court yep. because they said, you know, Lachlan and Rupert, you had something to do with January the sixth. Yeah. So Rupert's pockets are deeper than anybody's. Mm. Take him to court. Yeah. Loves so it. I think a lot of the. Th- you know, I got great support from the people who were like-minded with me from council to run and then to get through it. But by the time that mayoral election came along, things had changed and um, mm. the mayor at the time gave himself another year. And that's fine. That's that uh, Amori Fati, the love of fate. You know, mm. I'm lucky to have been through that. I'm lucky to have been... To have, to have been challenged to look at myself so deeply and say, wow... I think I coveted this a bit too much. I mm. think I wanted it for the wrong reasons. Mm. I don't think I had the skills to do it. I don't even think I had the skills to do it the first time around because of how intense it is to be in charge of a, of a, of a group of people who are directing a CEO that runs a budget of $170 million. 
You know, it's, it's big, big stuff. Number. It's big huge. Number. But not only that, you've got 55,000 people and the, the voting ratepayers who all, if you ask them individually, would have an opinion on every decision you made. Yeah. So to try and distill that. So, yeah, it wasn't a good experience. Um, but there's, there's, there's many more things that I can take from it in a positive now than I ever thought I would. Just going back one step, um, so that afternoon, let's say it's, I don't know, three o'clock in the afternoon, it's a Thursday, you're thinking to yourself, I'm here laying tiles or cutting veggies or whatever it was you were doing that, at that point in time. And then you wander into the council chambers thinking by eight o'clock tonight, I'm going to be the mayor of Mildura. Um, or maybe you did think that, maybe you didn't. I'm not sure. Um, what, what, is there more to this? Like, did, did you think you were going to be the mayor that night? Oh, I thought, I, yes, I did think that that would, would have happened. Okay. Mm. Um, and without, you know, look, I'm not trying to sort of get you to say something that you shouldn't, of course, but... Yeah, yeah, very much so. As I said, it's, uh, it was something that I didn't think would happen, but that's, I don't think at this point in time that's the purpose. The no. purpose is that I, I, I chose to take a difficult road in my life. I chose yep. to represent people. I chose to not be employed but be elected with a group of people that I believed I could do better for the community. And as a whole, I think that council did. Yeah. That council of nine that were elected at the end of 16, we ended up getting the Mildura Future Ready Ahead, which has created mm. the Mildura Sporting, even though it so had started good. before, uh, the development of the riverfront, the drug and alcohol um, uh, facility, facility yeah. that, yep. that, uh, that Ali and the former mayor yep. fought very, very 40, 38 million or 42 million. Wow. That's a huge yeah. result. Um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, oh. I understand your point, but, uh, you know, to dwell in the darkness means that you'll, be a, trog- tall, you'll be a troglodyte. So. Yeah. yeah. No, agree, mate, agree. And we'll, we'll sort of – we'll pick that up and run. Um, so in 2020 you became the mayor, uh, November, I think, yep. 2020. Not sure of the date, maybe. 21. I was going to say 18th. Anyway, yep. I'm close. Um you know, and I, as a very, very proud friend, watched that. Um, I hooked my laptop up to the TV on the back deck. I was having a beer um, with, a, you know, my family, whatnot, and we are sort of watching that. And um, for me, that was one of the most immensely proud moments in my life as a, as a bloke. No, and I wasn't even the guy. Yeah. I, I was just a, <laughs> someone that knew the guy. But um, so a month later... When you went to bed and you lie in bed and you go, fuck, I'm the mayor mm, of Mildura. Yeah, it was like that. It was so... How and, was that? Well, when we, well, you, you came out and we had a drink at SIP, um, I, I, I really, having, having walked these streets and driven these roads and laid the tiles and spilt blood on the streets and played mm. football, to, to think that looking back on the, the last hour and a half or nearly two hours we've spent together... To, to reflect on the fact that I, with the support of Danielle and the kids, put my hand up to do it, off my own bat and their support and my, my original family's support. Mm. Original family's a strange way to say it, but you know what I mean. Yeah. That I had the wherewithal to get there, to get through it, mm. you know, to, to take a few um, harder hits, you know, particularly on the back of running federally. And it was, it was daunting as the chore itself, mm. but it was uplifting but then to be overlaid with the second year of COVID, <laughs> it was just, it was kind of weird because yeah. I never got to have 
the year that I did as deputy mayor the first time, which was to be out and to be talking to people yeah. and to be making contact. And I'm so proud of uh, Mayor Wood because he's doing yeah. that in his first year this year. He's, he he's really is. taking to it uh, like a duck to water. And sometimes I think um, that idea of um, being prepared to know that other people will be able to do the job. And that's what I said mm. before. Maybe I coveted it too much. Maybe I thought the actual position was more important than the job that you were doing, you know. And I'm just, yeah. just rationalising that now. But, but I, loved, I loved the year. I, I, I had some great conversations with Melbourne, Melbourne radio people mm. ringing up saying, oh, how do you feel in Mildura? You know, you're just across the border, New South Wales lockdown, you're not. And you're, once again, trying to put that positive spin on the fact that it was a difficult year. Yeah. Uh, it's been a difficult two and a half years. Um, but it was great to go through. It was hard work. Mm. And some of the things that you said before, like, you know, do you when you Google yourself, some of the criticism was um, quite challenging. I know one of the things, and happy to talk about it, is there was a um, – the, the, the Sunraysia Daily was quite um, down on council when scathing, I first got onto council. Scathing, yes. Yep. And uh, there was a leak. Uh, an email I'd written, only sent to councillors, was leaked and then ended up on the front oh. page of the paper. Uh, and that was a huge challenge, but I tried to take the higher ground and say, okay, it's a leak, it's an anonymous leak, it can only mm. be one of X amount of people. Until they tell me who they are, I'm not even going give give to yeah. give it fire. But that still wears you down, you know, and that's why you need the support of good staff around you, good colleagues, good support systems mm. from your family and your friends. Yeah, that, oh, mate, I mean, that's, that must be massively disappointing, though, if, you know, if you've sent an email to, you know, between one and 20 people, however many that is, I'm not sure. But, uh, yeah, that's, 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 buddy, that's tough. Um, anyway, we'll, we'll kick the negativity out the door. Second um, time. Like, I love it. I just love kicking negativity. I'm, <laughs> as, a, as a 50-year-old bloody man, I'm just trying to roll with the positives in life. I think, I think our lives are too short to worry about, you know, you can entertain negativity, but just don't give it too long. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you're passionate about lots of topics, um, you know, as we've sort of continued to say that, you know, we've, we've known each other a long time, we've talked about lots of things, um, and I feel that I owe you the opportunity to discuss the things you want to talk about. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll roll into... You know, we're not going to talk for seven hours about things here, but um, can we start by talking about corporate taxation? Mm. You know, I don't want to put a timeline on you, but just throw me your thoughts on it. Um, I've read so many books on it. That's ridiculous. Um, there's a book called Dollarocracy and it was written about the um, the period leading up to the selection of Obama before he ran and won in 2008. And I think both, and, and this is rep, where it's replicated in Australia, it's just not on such a level, is um, $10 billion was spent by um, corporates on entertaining who they were going to choose to run the United States of America. Wow. That's, that's a huge amount of money. Um, in... in, 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 in in Australia, through the John Howard years, the rules about how much you could donate and when you could donate were changed as well. Mm. Um, I think it became quite horrific. Barnaby Joyce came to Mildura in uh, February and I think there was a $1,000 $1, uh, dinner 
event for him afterwards, which was a fundraising thing. Here? Yeah, I think so. Well, you had to um, pay a thousand bucks to well, have you dinner could, with you, If you were a supporter, you could do that. Where, so was that t- where did that happen? I'm not quite sure, but it's not wow. new. So what's happening now is the system of government is 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 so heavily linked with big business yep. that a lot of the policy around taxation is being written not by people who are trying to get into their politicians' ear. They're being written by lobbyists and people who work with mm. large corporations. I think one of the things that I always say to you is local government collects 3% of the taxes but supplies 23% of the services. I'm so glad you threw that in yeah. there because I couldn't remember the stats. But the other thing that's Thank more you. disturbing is that in 2021, the federal government gave fossil fuel companies $11 billion, okay? So that uh, that means that people that are on – so that's someone like Alan Joyce. They might be mm. on $12 million a year mm. and the chair of this fossil fuel company might be on half a million and he's got two other chairs, yet your tax dollars is being given to a entity that has a board, a chair and a CEO that's there to manage risk, mm. They're managing their risk by mm. putting their hand in your pocket, okay? So the other thing too is that all 540 local governments in Australia only receive $1.2 billion, sorry, $2.1 billion mm. from the federal government annually. It's so not that, much of a number, is it? That's that? a terrible number. There's more that's given out, but yep. that's what consistently yep. comes. Remembering that that amount in real terms has dropped by about 1% of the federal budget to about... 0.55% of the federal budget over a 30-year period. So you can see the trajectory of, of lobbyists saying, oh, trickle-down econ- economics works, or if you if you pay big at the top, it'll come at the bottom. It just doesn't work that way. No. Unless you're on the front foot defending the people who can't defend themselves, talking about taxation and bank structures and all sorts of things like that, mm. uh, um, foreign investment, you just end up r- r- raising less tax receipts and usually the people down the bottom pay more. Mm. So that's huge for me. And the, the Australia Institute are having an event on the 6th of October that I want to go to in Canberra mm. that's talking about the lack of taxation revenue that's coming into the Australian government's coffers. Mm. But remembering when that happened, when all this trajectory of the lack of taxation is coming in, more money's been giving away to the wealthy. That third tier of Morrison's tax cuts really only gives money to people earning between one hundred and thirty dollars to $255,000. dollars mm. So do you think they need it or the people on 26000 Mate, uh, as you know, and look, I'm sure that you could continue that conversation for 157 hours, <laughs> honestly. Like, and I love the um, passion that you have for that. Um, well, you, um, you know, I've always got that reputation of being tight and I'm tight because what I remember is I got – I bought Super when I was 19. Yeah, and, and someone tied life insurance to it and I didn't mm. pay it for five years mm. but I didn't cancel the, the life insurance so it ate away the $8,000 that I'd – so I'm still yeah. – I'm not angry about it now but, geez, in 1994 when I wanted that money to buy a car, I was really angry. For sure. So I'm – my the old Italian in me with thanks dad and his father <laughs> goes, how come you bloody ripped me off, you know? <laughs> so it's still there. The other oh. thing too is there's, there's so much being done on the peripheries to – make wealthy people more wealthy, that we forget that if you can if you can organise an Olympic Games, if you can organise to have an international uh, tax scheme in the Cayman Islands, mm. why can't you organise to feed everybody and clothe everybody and educate it? Like, what are the parameters here, Corey? Or even the fact mm. that Ramsey ran our hospital mm. for 20 years as a company to make money first 
But I they love, delivered a service. In, How I much love, did that take out about a community over a 20-year period? Yeah. I, I'd love it in another way. I wouldn't love to see the, the uh, like their balance sheet or their, no, their P&L, like just – just know. to pay an equitable amount of taxation. That'd be good. Yeah. That'd be good. But remembering, if you look at the gentleman who's just recently been the Prime Minister, uh, the President of the US, mm. his gentleman. modus of... You know, he's no gentleman. No gentleman. The, um, the, bloke. Gen- the, the, the bloke, the fella. <laughs> um, his whole modus operandi, he was he, he, he inherited $390 billion when he was like a 21-year-old. Mm. He's never wanted for anything. His whole modus operandi, and this has permeated through the whole of the money world is just to reduce taxation because yeah. people believe it's their right to take as much as they can. On a finite planet, yep. it doesn't add up. No. You, know, you can keep you can quantitative ease until the cows come home, but if there's no water in the river, and I'm really fascinated at the moment mm. that the droughts happening in Asia and and Europe, you know, we've yeah. been through this over five or six years ago. Are we on that precipice of the sixth great extinction? Are we at that end of the pipe? The, the point where we really have put our head in a noose because of the population, 8 billion, 10 in another five or six years, yep. five or six, 10 or 20 years, and then the amount of resources we use to live the lives we live. But I'm questioning myself too. Yeah. You know, no, oh. I'm, not, I'm not just throwing it out onto everybody else. We all have to question how we might want to live if things get a bit weird. One final topic that I'd love uh, just to get your th- expert thoughts on um, is uh, is water. So that's um, not necessarily water out of the tap, but the the use of water in our river systems uh, for irrigation and so on. Um, so, mate, look, yeah, hit me with um, your thoughts on water. What I know is that it's um, I had a we had a forum leading up to the state election in two thousand eighteen called the Matter of Water. Mm. Danielle helped me with that title, and it is a matter. You know, water is life, uh, as my good friend and colleague from Wentworth, Jay McAllister, always said. Go three days without it, and see how you go. Good luck with that. Yeah, yeah, but but to me, it, it's it's a motive. It's it's the connection. It's the story of the Chafees who came for water. It's the story of my Italian grandfather who, you know, he knew that if he got this far north, he could still get good water, but get his tomatoes to market three weeks earlier than everyone else, and make more money in that three weeks than the rest of the year. Or my Grandpa Jack Nolan, you know, shooting up and down the flooded Darling or the Murray in the 50s. Um, so I grew up listening to stories about – it wasn't water availability back then. It was droughts and floods. Yeah. But by the time I was 10, the last of the large catchments, Dartmouth, were built and those, those floods every two to three years disappeared. So the whole system, river system has been made to be a – a working irrigation system. And the best way to have a healthy river is to mimic the way it flowed prior to locks and weirs and barrages. So um, by the time I got onto council, we were, we, were, um, we were post-millennial drought. Growth had started coming back to the community, but there were some really big issues going on in the Darling. And I found through my connections, and you've heard through the stories that I've told over the last um, two weeks, that heavily connected to it in, a, in an oral tradition. These were the stories we told. So I just picked that up and ran with it and felt it was my responsibility to work out what was going on and why we couldn't come to some form of agreement um, within the basin states and the federal government. The funny thing is the Water Act did that and then the politics took over and deconstructed it in a similar way to large corporates control policy about money, large Horton Ag industries control mm. policy and narrative about water. Um, 
I don't think there's a problem with growing multiple different crops in the basin. Mm. It's the volume that you put in and the, what they need in the driest year. Um, and in some instances, the anomaly that was the millennial drought is hugely scary if it happens again on the back of the 1,300% growth in permanent plantings that we've seen in our region over the last 15 years or 14 years. That's a huge number, I think, from yeah. 40,000 hectares to 80,000 hectares in, in, you know, I think as much as was planted between 1,900 to 2,000 was planted between 2,000 and 2,015. So, yeah. But that, that's because water is of value. There's mm. huge markets to the north of us and in Europe and America and South America. And I think sometimes we fall into the trap of believing that our systems, the, the Murray and the Darling, is like the Amazon or the Mississippi or the Nile where they're just going to keep pumping water mm. day and night. They do in the wettest of wet years. It's those dry years that, are we con- that we're concerned about. So for me, it's education. Mm. It's not being dragged into the debate and sticking to the narrative that those with a vested interest portray all the time. Um, it's also trying to deal with government position. A lot of people who work in the water industry for government agencies still say, oh, we shouldn't tell farmers what to grow. Um, mm. And I agree with that about 60% to about 60% because if you know there's going to be a drought, and there's a drought that's predicted and climate change is saying that there's going to be less water coming into the system, it's Mm. our responsibility to work out what we're going to do when we have 40% less water. You don't keep planting things. So I think it's it's a balanced thing. But the complexity of it... Sorry. The complexity of the politics because, in essence... It rains in it rains in the Highlands in New South Wales and and Victoria, or it rains mm. in the broad catchments of Queensland, and the water just distributes into South Australia. Simple. Yeah, that's the system. What's overlaid on it is the locks, the weirs, the barrages, the unbundling of water. You know, in 1990, your water wasn't worth anything, mm. and your land and what was on it was worth something. And the idea of unbundling of water was to bring the biggest dollar return to every drop of water. Now, they've done that in, in buckets. I was going to say spades, but buckets <laughs> works better. But what they didn't encounter, what they didn't consider when they unbundled slash privatised water, it, was, it, mm. cre- it created a water gold rush that made mm. everybody want to buy it and now that tradable water mm. uh, is the most valuable thing in the basin. And do you think that, like that gold rush theory has just, it's almost like if you're a 30-acre table grape grower from Nichols Point, you're nearly getting outpriced, aren't you? Well, you can, well I think... How do you afford water? You, well, you've got to make a lot of money. If so you that means if you, So if you have a trade war with China, yeah. you know, if you're, if you're lucky enough to um, buy or be gifted the property that your grandfather started from your father, you'll probably mm. do all right because mm. you've got collateral. But there's no way you and I are going to say, geez, there's heaps of money in buying water at um, $1,000 a temporary meg to go and grow gooseberries. It's just mm, not going to happen. No. Where... There's a book written by an Australian journalist in the 1930s called Water to Gold and Ernestine Hill travelled through this region and understood how important water was to make what's the so-called arid desert around the Murray River mm. bloom and blossom. And that's happened. It's happened in buckets. I think, well, again, sorry, I think it, it's <laughs> the balance that we need to try and have and the communication. Do you remember Roy and HG's... Um, trip down the river? Was it Roy and HG or was it... Um, it, was uh, just, 
It was H. Roy Slaven and Timothy no, Flannery. Roy. Yeah, yeah. And Tim Flannery. I bumped into him at uh, the coffee shop one morning there. And they went all the, they went from the upper reaches of the border rivers in yeah. – uh, oh, sorry, probably the Bow and Darling down to the mouth. And Roy Slaven, uh, John Doyle is hilarious. He'd go, hmm, it seems that all the problems exist, exist upstream – and downstream, but nothing, no problems exist here. <laughs> so that, there's that idea of, uh, to me, it presents a really difficult challenge to bring equity to water, to bring all the states on board, but to also mm. realise there's a capacity of what we can grow coming into climate change mm. with the natural ephemerality of the Murray and the Darling Rivers. Yeah. So a couple bit of data that I always love, and you know I'm a data freak, um, the average day at Mildura is uh, Mildura Weir is about mm. 8,000 megalitres of water a day. Yeah. They're taking the weir out and they take the weir out when it's 40,000 megs oh. a day. Okay, so that's yep. coming out in the next week. Yeah. In 2016, the fifth biggest flood since locks, weirs and barrages, it was 110,000 megs a day. Mm. Wow. 1956, which is the biggest... Flood ever. Big, big, yeah. Well, they reckon 1871 was bigger. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. 360,000 megalitres of water a day past where the weir went. Now, that is insane. And that's that ephemerality. Wow. There's an, an elasticity what, in the numbers. 1871? Oh, 1871 was bigger than that. So that oh, was the wow. 56 numbers. So how do they track that, though? Not, not 100% sure, but I can yeah. look into that for you. The yeah. other thing, too, is the mouth of the Murray had been open in different ways. It had never yep. closed until 1981. Prior to mm. locks, weirs and barrages, on average... 16,000 gigalitres of water used to go out of the mouth. Now about um, 1,000 a a gigalitres go out annually. So for those that don't totally get that, what is a gigalitre? A gigalitre is um, – I'll have to Google it. It's, it's, it's like a million – I think it's uh, – a gigalitre is a million litres. Yeah. And a, So a million – um, So a cup of coffee is about 250 mil. Yeah. So – 400 million cups of coffee. That's a fair bit. Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to get some clarity. Yeah, Google that, that up. Yeah. But 400 million. Like, I mean, you know, you can't even imagine 400 no, you can't. million well, cups of coffee. But I interviewed. That's, that's a lot. I interviewed a couple of old fishermen when I did the uh, River Fellowship. Hmm. Um, and they were talking about down Lake Kalalarain and down Lindsay Island and down around those beautiful areas there. The floodplain's 25 kilometres across. Um, have you got a stat there? Yeah, yeah. A, yeah. a, a megalitre mm. is a million litres of one million litres of water, an amount of water that fits into a 10 by 10 by 10 cube. Wow. And then the gigalitre is, is – and this is what happens. We, when I did the River Fellowship, people we, – we created a term called gigababble. Yeah. Because when you get so scientific on it, people just want water in the river or they want a pump or they want to use their yeah. jet ski or they want a yeah. nice um, vista. Mm. When you start getting into the deeper politics, you actually forget what you're arguing about. It becomes this intense argument about, well, there used to be so much. Why is it not there anymore, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, uh, the other interesting thing, there's been a few changes since the Labor government got voted in. Yeah. Uh, they're being a little bit more sympathetic to the environment. Uh, and Richard Beasley, who I mentioned earlier, who's been he's been nominated to be the River Ambassador for South Australia, and he fought um, in the Royal Commission to to get more environmental water acknowledged and recognised mm. because of that corporate deconstruction of the Water Act from 2007. So. Okay. So awesome. good things are happening. 
we're we're quite lucky with and the agencies we have the Murray Darling Association do a, have done a there's things that haven't gone well but they've done really good work in a statistical sense and creating yeah. data and analysis they've been through a hell of a time it was only created in 1911 and sorry 2011 and 12 so yeah. it's only a new agency it's getting to deal with a, a total the, the system was completely state owned you know it was mm-hmm. water run and then it was thrown to the market um, and they say it's one of the most um, opaque markets you've ever seen too. So the mm. other difficult thing is, you know, we've got mates who still work on the farm. They've got to try mm. and maybe go in and try and buy water. Yet there's water traders that sit in an office like you're sitting in front of your Apple now mm. who just chase the cheapest water all day. Meanwhile, yeah. the old school farmer's on his tractor. He's trying to get connection to uh, uh, to his phone to say, well, we can, we can I pick up 15 yeah. more megs or uh, so I can finish off this crop? So it seems to be skewed in some ways. Mm. But the other positive is... As I said before, and I can't, I won't make light of this, is that we are the wealthiest local government association in the country with that $1.12 billion. Mm. That's on the back of water getting a better return for what we what we do. It's trying to get that balance right between the two. Because if your river's not healthy, you're gonna have problems when it gets a very dry year. And I think yeah, there's absolutely. only about ten percent of native fish left in the river systems because yeah. they thrive on that flow. Those mm. big pulses, soon as the soon as the water starts to come, they reckon the cod and the perch can smell it and they tear up river to spawn and then when the rivers come back down, their eggs just flow through the whole system. Well, that's it, mate. Exactly. So much water. Um and what you know, what do you do with it? Um, Jake, look. Thanks so much, mate. Uh, appreciate so much um, having your time, spending um, spending a good hour or so again with you. No, I'd just I'd like to thank you. I think this is a really good thing, and I'm looking forward to hearing more. I'd really like to thank Danielle and my kids because they've they've with a lot of other friends and family supported me to actually to make the challenge and then put your hand up when you need to do a bit of the harder work. And I think I avoided that through the 90s, but everyone's young once, so I, I take that as a, as a gift. It is greatly appreciated. I know that there are people out there that um, certainly enjoy hearing about, um, you know, your thoughts on um, the, <laughs> the wide range of topics we've chatted about. So, mate, appreciate it so much. Um, we will come back and do this again. Um, maybe even you'll chat to me in reverse next time. Let's, uh, let's give that some thought. Um, but other than that, mate, look, appreciate it so much. Um, and to all uh, those out there listening, um, take care of each other, love one another. Um, we'll keep uh, the roundabout going. Um, so for now, thanks, guys. Take care.